0: Communication is the lifeblood of the organization. There is no way that these groups can operate unless they are able to communicate freely with one another. You know, it was kind of slow going at first, but within a year, they're getting, like, drug traffickers, uh, gun runners, uh, money launderers, and they're like, wow, this
1: worked! I'm Nicola Talent. And you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld, in Ireland and across the globe. It will go down in history as one of the greatest double crosses ever constructed by law enforcement. Spanning three continents over three years and targeting 300 organised crime groups, Trojan Shield has sent shockwaves through the underworld. For years, organised crime figures using ANOM phones thought that they were untouchable and they used their devices to organise drug and gun shipments, to plot murders and to conduct the business of crime with impunity. This week... That all changed as the FBI, Australia's Federal Police and Europol admit that they have the 20 million text messages in 45 languages transmitted on ANOM's 12,000 handsets. So how did it all start and how did an FBI field office in San Diego come up with the most sophisticated sting in the history of organised crime? Today I'm talking to author Alan Foyer, a journalist with the New York Times who says that Trojan Shield is the FBI's finest hour and has resulted in a treasure trove of intelligence for countries across the globe. He describes how the demise of a phone company lies at the heart of the coup and he tells me that the seeds of Trojan Shield were sown when the FBI set out to capture Notorious Joachim and Chapo Guzman, the violent head of the Sinaloa cartel. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. I actually thought of you, Alan, when I heard this story breaking or when I heard some of the details of it, because there was obviously lessons learned or ideas forged during the uh, takedown of El Chapo that, have been in people's heads ever since. I think they have suggested that uh, some Australian federal police and some FBI officers were having a few pints of beer and came up with an idea of uh, using an insider against the uh, against the underworld. But uh, it's not an original idea, exactly, is it? Well, no. When I
0: when I um... You know, first heard about this story, I immediately thought about the story of Christian Rodriguez, the young Colombian IT guy that, that Chapo had hired, and how the FBI found out about uh, Christian, um, you know, um, and, and launched an entire operation to track him down, turn him, and then play him back against Chapo by, you know, essentially... Um, having the IT guy insert um, you know, spyware into, into Guzman's um, extensive f- uh, both cell phone and BlackBerry network. Yeah, I, I, it was in, instantly reminiscent, but don't forget that was you know, one sort of subset of one cartel. This Trojan shield operation, they say it was 300. Different uh, transnational criminal organizations that span dozens of countries, and that over time, you know, what was more or less, I guess, about not quite three years, collected twenty-seven million messages in forty-five different languages.
1: It's astonishing. Absolutely. So we, we, we'll we go back, to, we'll say Christian Rodriguez was a seed that has grown into a vast oak tree when it comes to law enforcement. So this story started breaking in the different time zones. I think first came the Australians with news that perhaps there had been a hack and we were kind of keeping an eye on it. And in comes San Diego. And um, to claim the prize of being the ones that have coordinated it, the FBI. And lastly came Europe. And I got up yesterday morning to watch the Europol press conference. And um one after another police chief from various territories here, including the assistant director of the FBI, came out. And they all sang from the same hymn sheet. They all said, firstly, this is a phenomenal moment in the fight against organized crime. And secondly, they said that it is the only way, the working together, the breaking into the communication systems and the, you know, the swapping of intelligence.
0: Well, look, I mean, you know, this whole operation starts, it was founded on the premise that when you have criminal organizations that are sprawling across borders and have lots of different, you know, kind of, employees doing lots of different things at, at, at you know, in various places, that, that communication is the lifeblood of the organization. There is no way that these groups can operate unless they are able to communicate freely with one another. And so, you know, that has been something that law enforcement has kind of recognized for a long time. And this... Operation took that premise to the sort of you know, next level by placing, um, you know, law enforcement investigators, essentially, they were the purveyors of this Anam, as it was called, communication system. But yes, it's it's all founded on the notion that these groups can't survive without being able to communicate with one another.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So going back, what do you know um, about the beginnings of this and, and what happened in, in, in San Diego? And what's the field office, is it, of the FBI?
0: Um, yeah, it's the field office of the FBI. Um, you know, it's funny, San Diego uh, did, the, 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 you know, the, 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 there's a DEA office and a FBI office, and both kind of bring their cases to the U.S. Attorney's Office, which is the Federal Prosecutor's Office in San Diego, it, they've done a lot of great drug trafficking cases over the years. It's, it's about 50 years old. It's a relatively new office, the, the, the prosecutor's office, I mean. And it was, interestingly enough, it was kind of created to take the pressure off the Los Angeles uh, U.S. Attorney's Office because they were to focus more on border crime. But that also meant they developed an expertise in these drug trafficking organizations. And so... In 2017 and 18, mm-hmm. the, the FBI and the, and the U.S. Attorney's Office down there got wind of a new kind of cutting-edge encrypted communication system. It was called Phantom Secure. And it was just one of these very simple stories, right? The, the local law enforcement, they make an arrest, and some guy's got this phone on him. And they're like, what is this thing? Because these phones are are stripped down so that they have no other function but to communicate within a closed loop network, right? So there's no other apps. You can't do email. You can't even make a normal phone call. So so the, the local investigators down there were like, what is this thing? And it turned out it was a product Created by a, Canadian, a then Canadian company called Phantom Secure, and it was at the time the kind of cutting edge of these, you know, encrypted closed loop communication systems. So the FBI and the U.S. Attorney's Office conduct an investigation. They end up taking down the the CEO of this company, a guy named Vincent Ramos, and four of the top executives, and. You know, lo and behold, they find out that these phantom secure phones have made their way across, you know, the the, the criminal landscape that our, our old friends in the Sinaloa drug cartel were, were using phantom secure phones. Not only um, the Sinaloa cartel, it was all over the map. Um, and during the course of that investigation and prosecution, which was quite successful, um, the FBI turned... Someone, we don't know who yet, he's an anonymous source within Phantom Secure, who essentially agreed to cooperate um, with, the, with the agents there in exchange for a, a lighter uh, penalty, right? That's what often happens. And this person said, hey, do you know that I am kind of working on the next generation of these encrypted devices, and it was called ANOM, A-N-O-M. And thus began this kind of insane, wild operation where the FBI allowed this person to go out into the criminal world and sell these ANOM phones, but with code inserted into the phone that would peel off a blind copy, a BCC, Right? It would peel off a blind copy of every message that the phone received or sent, and it would send it to what was what's called an IBot server. And I'm assuming what that means is it was a kind of, you know, like um automatically run a uh, cloud server. Um, and then from there, it would make its way essentially back into the FBI's hands. Um, and toward the end of 2018, you know, the FBI working with this uh, informant, they decided to beta test this idea in Australia. Um, you know, as you were mentioning, this was the notion um, about, uh, you know, a plot hatched over beers, you know. And so they let this guy loose in Australia. And they, uh, uh, and the informant sort of approached three people in Australia first who had been on his um, Phantom Secure sort of circuit. And he's like, hey, I got the next best thing. Here it is. And they took it and they were excited by it. And it sort of started to penetrate slowly through the Australian underworld. Um, you know, there are lots of... Um, you know, kind of, there was a lot of monitoring of this because it's sort of powerful technology. Um, and so they, you know, the, the investigators on, on, on both sides of the planet were like very closely watching what was being done with it. Um, as you would imagine, uh, you know, bad things can and did happen. Um, but as the story goes, as, it, as it's told in, in, in some court papers that were, have just been recently unsealed, um, you know, it was kind of slow going at first in Australia. It took a bit to kind of make its way through the underworld there, but within a year, they're getting like drug traffickers, uh, gun runners, uh, money launderers, and they're like, whole, like, "Wow, this worked." And it's at that point in the summer of about 2019 that they decide that the beta test is over, this actually is going to work, and they take it to the next level, and they, uh, the FBI approaches um, the law enforcement in a third country. We don't know which country yet. I'm guessing it's somewhere in Europe, but I, I don't know that for a fact, and I'll, so I'm speculating. But my sense is it's a European country, uh, and they do the same thing. And the thing just takes off like wildfire, right? Within, you know, a a matter of months, you know, uh, these Anom devices are in, um, you know, dozens of countries. There's about, all told, 12,000 of them circulating around, you know? Um, and, And so, for example, the, you know, the FBI puts a, puts a, a digital fence, what's called a geofence, around the United States, because there are kind of legal authorities that you have to worry about. If you're monitoring phones inside the United States, you have to be, there are just different laws that mm-hmm. authorize that. And so at that point, they kind of lose control of where these phones are going, but to sort of protect against illegally monitoring US citizens they put a geofence around the United States and any message that comes out from one of these phones they send they let the Australians look at it right and the but simply to make sure that there's no like present like immediate threat to like you know like imagine a scenario where the FBI is like we can't look at these messages but you know then someone gets killed because of that right so they don't want that but they also don't want to monitor American citizens so they kind of come up with this compromise. Anyhow, you know, all of a sudden you're seeing, you know, like it's, 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 it's an astonishing array of crimes, including several um, uh, corrupt public officials. Uh, you know, they said yesterday that six police officers around the world have already been arrested. And in the court papers note that there's, there's all kinds of public corruption investigations that have begun
1: because of this. Um, it's just wild. And that's actually very interesting, Alan, because in around 2019, you have EncroChat about to happen, which was the first major hack here in Europe. That was followed earlier this year by Sky ECC, which um, I've spoken about on the podcast with, with some journalists based in Belgium and in in, in the Netherlands. And that, that was such an enormous hack that they have conceded that there is not enough law enforcement in Europe to deal with the amount of messages and intelligence in our lifetimes. I mean, there is that much there. But when the FBI and the Australians are coming to Europe with this absolute amazing uh, thing, which is ANOM, you have criminals who were on perhaps EncroChat and later on Sky ECC, who are actually looking for a new communication system to work off. So the timing, for once, for the good guys, has been all good. Well, one of the most remarkable things is how
0: the FBI, um, you know, like this relatively sleepy field office in San Diego, I don't want to knock them, but it's like, it's not Washington and it's not New York, Right. This was really run out of San Diego is sort of managing the global market for criminally, you know, encrypted devices meant for criminals. You know, they're doing things like just recently, like three or four months ago and uh, three months ago in March, um, that the, the San Diego Federal Prosecutor's Office indicted the leadership of one of ANOM's competitors Essentially, I mean, they were breaking the law, sure, but, at a, at, you know, the, the FBI, the, the, the special agent in charge of the San Diego field office, acknowledged yesterday that part of the indictment against Sky Global, is the competitor's name, was designed to drive market share to Anon. That was part of the plan. So, like, they're thinking, like, it was like this mix of sort of, you know, law enforcement and business that is just really fascinating.
1: It's a true show of brain power. You know, you always think of um, of police and law enforcement being more brawn. You know, they're all about being physical, but this is actually pure brain power that has created and conducted this. Um, I read somewhere, and I don't know whether that was somewhere trusted or not, but did this come to the to an end because a warrant ran out or the... the yeah,
0: so on... The, the this third country that we don't quite know who it is yet, um, the the that country's legal authority to collect all of the messages ran out on June seventh, um, and presumably they could have renewed it, but they already had so much stuff at that point. Like I said, twenty seven million messages, forty five languages. 300 criminal organizations, you know, dozens of countries that I, you know, they were like, look, we should just stop now because there's or, or else there is no end to this. So I, I think it's no surprise that on June 8th or, you know, the night of June 7th is when word of this started coming out. Um, and so, yeah. And by the end of the operation, they say that the, the, the five countries where the uh, Anam devices had penetrated most deeply were Germany Netherlands, Spain, Australia, and Serbia. Those are the... That's what they said, you know, in their court documents.
1: And obviously, you know, you have Spain, the Netherlands and Belgium would be the entry points to Europe, which is where all, mostly, the drugs and guns come through that feed on into everywhere else, including Ireland. A lesser-known fact for you about Phantom Secure, maybe you do know this, but um, there was a bank account discovered here in Dublin, um, after the arrest of Vincent Ramos. And he had been using Ireland as uh, some sort of a time zone, banking, transferring, laundering place. Um, there had been millions and millions went through the account. But when the Criminal Assets Bureau here moved in on it, uh, they discovered he'd set up a number of shell companies here, but he had uh, there was about 600,000 left in the account. So the Irish authorities have grabbed it. Uh, we've, fro- we've frozen it. We will give it back, I'm sure, to whoever owns it, which is usually the case. But, you know, it just shows the the trans-global um, between trafficking of drugs, weapons, people, and the money laundering. That is exactly what has been going on. Um, and really what I think was the message that came out of this joint press conferences that have been going on all over the world, that it's working together and all the nations and territories cooperating. Um, I just wanted to bring you back. I mentioned that this is possibly an oak tree that uh, the seed was sown in the in Christian Rodriguez. And you, you, we spoke on this podcast before. You detailed this in your book El Jefe. I can sense maybe there's a new book coming on with this latest uh, story. But just just recount that a little bit about. Christian Rodriguez, there was an enormous effort to 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 get Guzman. Um, and he was very, I think you told us that he was very aware that his phones were something that could entrap him, but he was also very much in need to use them. And he actually employed his own people to create a phone network for him or a communications network. He was probably one of the first major big... Cartel bosses that we know of to do that. Um, so, so what happened with Rodriguez and and um, just you know as as simply as you can recap how how it was the phone that really nabbed Guzman.
0: Sure. So there was sort of two ways. Um, you know, at the time, Christian Rodriguez was able to offer Guzman, you know, like what was then the the height of technology. It seems to us ludicrous now that it was so special then, but it was essentially Skype. It was essentially an encrypted Skype, right? You can talk through your computer. And, you know, this was 2008, you know? And so a guy like Chapel Guzman was like, wait a minute, what? (laughs) I can talk through my computer? And, you know, it was sort of using VPN uh, technology and, you know, you tunnel in, send the message you get it on the other side and uh, they used a bunch of cheap Nokia phones and and um, when the FBI uh, convinced Christian Rodriguez to go to work with them after they launched a sting against him in New York City they set him up with a Russian gangster pretending that this gangster wanted to buy the technology and then you know they, they essentially had leverage on him after that um, and then they surprised him one day in Colombia and said, we know who you work for, and there was a kind of, you know, negotiation, and he agreed to to work with them. So Rodriguez kind of set up a system, um, much like Anam, where he put code into these servers that would peel messages off, and the messages, the, uh, the, the, the servers at that point were located in the Netherlands, and so the FBI worked very closely with them. Um, the the kind of um, elite Dutch cyber crime unit, um, high technology crime, something or the other, something like that, mm-hmm. um, and they are they are as you mentioned before, they're kind of acknowledged to be at the cutting edge of this stuff, um, you know. Uh, but Guzman, being Guzman, he he is kind of a paranoid, impatient sort, and he kind of began to suspect that maybe that um, encrypted. F- cell phone system wasn't so secure. And so he decided to change things up and he moved over much more readily to a BlackBerry system, right? And, um, um, you know, without going into too much detail because it was very complicated how they sent messages, but technologically speaking, when the FBI's cell phone tap, more or less, uh, and they were getting live, they were getting recordings, they were getting Guzman's voice, on the line which was had never really been done before they had like 200 calls of him um, when when he moved over to the blackberries what Rodriguez helped them do was insert malware into these blackberries and then Guzman being intensely jealous and paranoid wanted to spy on those close to him whether it was his lovers, his wives, his ex-wives, his lawyers, his security chiefs, and so he had Rodriguez place the malware onto all of these BlackBerrys that he personally introduced to his inner circle, but what he did not know was that all of the information that he was getting on those closest to him, the FBI was receiving, you know, virtually in real time and amongst the information that the fbi was receiving was all of the texts that he would send to his wife and his girlfriends and all these people so because of his own sort of paranoid jealous nature he managed to kind of wiretap himself which is just bonkers you know you know his own desire to spy on those closest to him allowed the fbi to spy on him
1: mm. Mm. And also, I think maybe what possibly we'll see, and I'm sure you'll follow this story as will I, but within the underworld and gangland, there are people maybe born to be criminals, but as technology is used more and more. There are also people who are not and who are there because they're really good techie guys or they're, you know, we see a lot with these cyber takedowns that perhaps there are people working for these criminal gangs that aren't inherently bad. They may just be social misfits who don't, you know, realise necessarily what they're doing is wrong. Um, And maybe they are a weak link, into criminal gangs because um, they don't necessarily—they're not necessarily there because they're criminals through and through. They're there because they're good at technology, and perhaps the law enforcement has has discovered that before. I've had the realization in my head, but um, you know, going forward, they seem to be there. Seems to be a, a big opportunity to tap into those kind of people who are working in those areas of criminality. Sure.
0: Right. I mean, the IT guy is kind of classically not your tough guy criminal. So, you know, if they're doing it, presumably they're not doing it for like, you know, like, because they're, you know, psychopathy or from, you know, ideology. They're doing it for money, presumably. Yeah. Um, And so if you can, you know, threaten them, leverage jail time against them, you know, which is what happened in both the case of Christian Rodriguez and whoever the source for the Anom operation turns out to be. um, That's my next project, is attempting to tell that person's story.
1: I've no doubt. I have no doubt. And I look forward to talking to you again about it as you dig deeper. Um, It's big news over in the States. Uh, Yeah, I was listening to the radio and it
0: led the radio news, like National Public Radio News the other day or yesterday yeah. morning and yeah, they put it on the front page of the New York Times
1: so in other words it certainly is if that's where it is in the New York Times Alan Foyer thank you very much thank you from Sundayworld.com this is Crime World